so glad that Richie cleared that up. Um, I, I did not write this book. Um, but I'm, I'm super thankful to be here. And uh, if you've been with us for a while, Richie said we're going through the series of J- in, in James. And uh, how's it been? Has it been fun? Been good? You guys lie. It's been hard, right? It's been, <laughs> it's been difficult. James has a lot of things to say. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to James chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. But if you haven't been with us, James speaks in a way that is very just straight cut to the chase. Like, here's where we're going. And uh, he's spoken some hard truths to us. And I wish that uh, I would be able to get up here today and just say, hey, you know what? James is like, he's gotten that out of his system. He's going to turn a corner. He's going to start speaking like words of encouragement. But I'd be lying. Like James is going to like hit us again today. But, but I've come to really just appreciate James's heart. Because what I see is James is super, super passionate. Okay, James spent time with Jesus, and he has a picture of what it looks like to live like Jesus. He knows what you and I are capable of because of how God's created us. And so like any good coach, he's going to push us. He's going to shave off the, the things that need to go. He's going to push us, and we don't think we can go any further. He's going to say, nope, that needs to go too. And so I've really come to really, really appreciate James's heart and in his heart for for God's people and for us here this morning. And so super excited about today. Before we get going, just want to ask you, would you, would you pray with me that God would, would speak today? God, you are so good, and I'm so thankful, God, that you speak to us. Uh, this morning, God, you know every single story in this room, and I ask that your spirit would move. God, you're going to do the heavy lifting. Our job is to come with, with soft hearts and ears that are ready to listen. God, your job is to take the truths of your word and apply it very, very specifically with the skill of a surgeon to the individual things that are going on in each one of our lives. God, so would you do something miraculous today? Would you change hearts? Would you change relationships? Would you bring life to things that are dead? God, would you do what only you can do this morning? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you sit here today, what makes you and I different from animals? Right? There we go. Self-awareness. You guys are going to be responsive this morning. This is going to be awesome. Okay, just shout out answers, right? There we go. There we go. See, it's kind of probably not the first question you thought you were going to have to answer this morning. But really think about it. What makes you and I different from animals? Like, there's the obvious stuff, right? I get up here this morning and, like, I don't have a tail. Okay, I don't, I'm not covered in fur. Like, I've got all sorts of things that make me very, very on the outside. But let's dig a little bit deeper. Like, what makes you and I different from animals? Why aren't we just another breed of animal? Made in the image of God. Okay, that's pretty big, right? There's something inside of us that is able to, to reason. We have characteristics of God. That's, that's pretty amazing. See, animals operate out of instinct, Okay, they don't really think about a lot. They're not, contrary to what, like, the cartoons, like the Disney shows that my kids watch, animals aren't in a cave, like, strategizing on their whiteboard. Okay, like, how are we going to do this? We're going to get together, and then we're going to fake them out, and we're going to do this. And, and they, they don't have a conscience. They don't experience these things. Okay, but we do. We have, we have a conscience. We have reason. We're able to process things and say, how is this going to affect my life? See, Animals aren't like that. That's why I can go fishing and I can put a sharp metal object in the water and put something shiny and sparkly on it. And that fish has two thoughts. One, I'm hungry. Two, I think I can eat that. 
That fish is not looking at that thing saying, you know, how is this decision going to affect the rest of my life? If I eat that, how am I going to feel in five minutes? Or since we're all into planning, five years, ten years. No, that, that fish probably isn't going to live that long. Okay, but we are, are different. See, in the very beginning, God created us, as someone said, in the image of God. Okay, God has a master plan for what it means to be fully human. But if I'm not careful, there are times that when it comes to my relationships with other people, I can act far more animalistic than I would like to, to believe. See, about a year ago, there was a snake in my yard. Anybody like snakes? Seriously, you guys, come on. How can you like a snake? Okay, that's a different. But there was a snake in my yard, and like, I don't like snakes so much to like, if screaming like a girl and running down the, down the road was an option, like I was there. But instead, I did the manly thing. I grabbed the leaf blower, and we went at it, right? <laughs> True story. True story. I did this. And uh, the snake wasn't thinking like, you know, I'm going to sneak into your house and like attack you at night. No, no, no. The snake's like, that's horrible, whatever it is. And he starts jumping at me and hissing at me. Okay, sometimes if I'm not careful, if I'm not following God's master plan for my life, that's how I am in relationships. Okay, we use that phrase, poke the bear. Sometimes I can get poked and I don't think about anything. I say, I'm going after you. You came after me, I'm coming after you. See, we all have desires, both animals and people. We have, have desires, but our responsibility is to say, God, what do you want us to do with those desires? What are we supposed to do with those desires. And that's really where James is going uh, in James chapter 4. And so I'm excited to get into this. If you've got your, your Bibles with you, again, James chapter 4, starting in verse 1 uh, is where we're going to start at. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So, so let's pause right here, okay? This is real life. We, we talk about real life. We are real life. Real life has real fights, Right? Anybody else manage to go throughout their life without a fight? No. Anybody else manage to go through this morning without a fight? Okay, if you're married, you're lying. So let's be honest here in this room. Okay? We have fights. Like, parents fight against each other. Spouses fight with each other. Kids fight with each other. Parents fight with kids. Kids fight with the dogs. The dog fights with something. There's always fights around us. But James says, do you not understand where these fights come from? These fights come from competing desires. Okay, what that means is, is you want something, I want something. Um, that's not the same thing. One of us has got to win, so we're duking it out. Okay, and if we go back to several weeks back, when we were back in James chapter 1, uh, James also talked about desires. And he said, when these desires are evil, okay, we're enticed by them, and they, they lead us to sin, and sin leads to death. So here's the picture for you here in these fights that are going on. Okay, us each individually, when our desires are evil and we give fully into them, they lead to sin, which leads us to death. So you've got two people who have desires that lead to death, and now they're in a fight. Like, this, this should be interesting. So here's what James says. This is what's happening among you. He says, you desire but do not have. So what do you do? Obviously, you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. 
that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay, some of you may hear that, and that may like fit your life to a T. You're like, yep, that's how my life has been. Um, that's not the case for me. Um, I haven't actually taken that extreme of measures. But before I let myself off the hook, I have to look at how Jesus defines murder. He says, if you've hated someone in your heart, then you've killed them. Now, while I may not have actually physically killed someone, I have definitely brutally, verbally assaulted someone. Okay? I have definitely reacted when I've gotten poked, when I, my desires aren't getting met. I have definitely turned my words into weapons, and I have tried to take people out. Okay? Or this, this word covet. I don't usually use that word covet, but what I can tell you is that I have spent time thinking about, fantasizing about what I, what I don't have. Like, what would it be like to have what they have? Like a bigger this, a nicer this, leads me to a heart of discontent. I'm not okay with what God's given me. Or this last one is just where I throw up my hands and say, okay, I give up. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, and my prayer has been 100% selfish. I'm concerned about God. I'm in this mess. you got to get me out. Well, what about those other people that's going to affect? Don't worry about them. Like, I need out. You need to fix my problem. And so all this to say is, like, I'm not, I'm not innocent. I can't skip past this part just because the words don't line up. Okay? Is, is anybody in this room perfect? Most of you are except one person. Is anybody in this room perfect? No. So none of us are innocent. This applies to all of us. But here's the thing. This isn't a new problem today. This idea of competing desires and what do we do about them. See, back in Genesis chapter 4, we have a story about two brothers. Okay, you may have heard it before, maybe not, but you got a brother named Cain and a brother named Abel. Okay, and one day, Cain and Abel bring something before God, and God looks at what they brought, and we're told that he looks at Cain and says, I don't like what you brought. I'm not pleased. And he looks at Abel and says, I'm pleased with what you brought. And God looks at Cain, and Cain's not happy. See, Cain wants a pleasing look from God, too. You know, it's a friendly, brotherly competition. He's like, I want what he got. And God says, you need to be really careful about what you do next. He says, Cain, why are you angry? Why does your face show that you're clearly not happy? Like something deeper is going on. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? He says, but if you're not going to do what's right, Cain, if, if you're not going to make that decision, you need to watch out. Because sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to have you. But you must learn to rule over it. See, this isn't a new, a new problem. We're always going to experience these desires and these competing desires, and what do we do with them is what's important. And if we choose not to submit those things to God, here's, here's what James says to us. He's real soft with his words. He says, you adulterous people. That, was, that escalated quickly. Like we went from, this is what's happening to you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. 
That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So the first thing he says, you adulterous people, like why does he use that? Out of all the words that he could have used, why does he use that? When you think about the word adultery, what we're talking about is a case of unfaithfulness. He again, James spent time with Jesus. He knows what the way of Jesus looks like and he knows what the way of the world looks like. And he says they're completely in contradiction with each other. You cannot do both at the same time. It will not work. He says it's kind of like this. He says, James, you've been married for almost 12 years, okay, to your wife. What do you think is going to happen if tomorrow you come home and say, sweetie, I love you so much. We're married. I'm still going to be married to you. But I met this other lady, and, like, um, you know, I'm not going to marry her. Like, she's not you. But, like, she's got some things, you know, that you don't quite have figured out, you know, quite yet. And so I'm going to just spend, like, every other week or so, like, I'll go out for coffee with her and, like, I'll just like see what she's speaking in this area of our life and like that's going to be, that'll be cool with you, right? Like no, last service they said that she'd probably kill me, but that is murder, so we're not going to do that, okay? But that's not going to work. You can't do that. You have to be all in. And so that's why Jesus uses this, or, or James uses this word. He wants to get our attention. But here's where I would call the climax of what he's saying. Here's where he starts to say, this is what really matters. And so I want you to pay attention here. He, he says, do you not know that God jealously longs for the spirit that he's caused to dwell in you? Jealously longs for. When was the last time you jealously longed for something? And as you think about that, what was that thing that you jealously longed for? God says that those desires, those ambitions that you have, those dreams that you have, those goals, he says, I caused them to dwell there. I put them there, and I'm super passionate about them, and I'm super passionate about what you do with them. Like, this is amazing. See, when you realize that these things that you're thinking, okay, these desires that you have, desires to not be, not be alone, desires that... So, so these other things that you have, he says, I caused them to be there. And there's a reason for it. And so this is where James kind of shifts the, the idea. Because if we're going to be good at relationship with people, we have to learn what to do with these desires. Okay, we can all agree probably that like, you know, killing and, and things like that, that's not the right response we're going for. And so James says, so, so what do we do? We've, we've got to learn. And I'm so glad that, that he kind of knew we were going to be asking that question. And he didn't leave us at just like you adulterous, evil, wicked people. Like that would be super hopeful this morning. Like walk out and God be with you. But he doesn't. He says, first you need to recognize that God is passionate about what he's put in you. He's passionate about what you do. And so, and so what do you do? If you're taking notes this morning, here's, here's where our note card comes into play. We've got to learn how to rule over our desires, how to master our desires. And this is where James picks up in verse 7. He finishes out. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. It changed your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 
See, James seems to have the answer here, but I got to be honest with you, um, just reading this one time wasn't enough to fix all of my issues. There's a lot in here. And so if we're going to learn how to rule over our desires, what do we need to do? Well, first of all, James says, you got to submit to God. Everything. Those desires, you've got to submit them to God. The bad ones, you got to submit them to God. The good ones, you got to submit them to God. Okay, what does submission look like? He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is our strategy. Okay, so many times when, when the temptation, the testing comes, I don't just resist. I say, I'm going to grab my sword and we're going to go. And, and as one person so wisely told me, um, me on my best day and my own strength is absolutely no match for the weakest demonic force at all. Like, I will get chewed up, eaten, and spit out before I know what happened. But he says to resist. So when it comes, be ready to say no. Know that it's coming. Know that as you seek to live Jesus' way, there is a world that doesn't want you to live that way. And so that next fight, that next temptation is just around the corner. So be ready for it. Start practicing. Start, start practicing saying no. Okay, for a while, for many years actually, when it comes to parenting, um, I would try to manage my desire to like, not yell at my kids. Like when they do something for the billionth time, like I start bullying over. Am I the only one like, like that? You guys have like unending patience with your children? All right, all right, good. We've got to learn to say no. Because what, what I found is that when I just lived the rest of my life however I wanted to live it, and then when it came to just wanting to respond to my kids or wanting to respond to my spouse in a certain way, I failed miserably. Because the rest of my life, I'm not training myself. I've got to train myself to say no. So, for example, very practically, my wife knows this about me. Um, I can have just eaten a meal, but if there's extra food on the counter, I'm eating it. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm afraid for things to go to waste. Whatever it is, but it's just like, it's animalistic, right? I'm like, there's food, eat. Okay, that worked fine when I was like really, really young. Um, I'm 40 now, and my body works differently. And if I do that, I just become undisciplined. But what I found is that as I start training myself to resist things regularly, I'm growing in that ability. And so then when it comes to parenting, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to my neighbors, when it comes to work, all these different situations, I find like, you know what, I've been, I've been training myself to resist this. I'm ready for this to come, and while it's not easy, I've got some, I've got some stuff to, to fight with. And so James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What else does submission look like? He says, wash your hands and purify your hearts. What's he mean by this? Okay, what he means is that when, when we slip up, when we mess up, admit it. We just admitted that no one here is perfect. It means we're going to make mistakes. So just admit when you're wrong. Purify your hearts. It's this idea of, it's a continual thing. It reminds me of the writer of Psalm 139. He says, search my heart, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a continuous thing. This is that every day I wake up and I take all of my desires, all of the things that I want to do, and I lay them before God and I say, God, what do you think about these? This plan to go this X, Y, and Z, what do you think about that? And it's a continuous thing. 
Okay, and it's not just asking the question. There's also an element of how am I going to respond? James uses the words grieve, mourn, and wail. Okay, when was the last time you grieved, mourned, and wailed? Right? Usually when I grieve, mourn, and wail, it's because I didn't get my way. It's what's known as an adult tantrum. Okay, but he says grieve, mourn, and wail. So what he's saying is you got to have the right response. When you ask God to search your heart and he shows you things that, that aren't helpful, they're not of him, what is your response? Are, are you laughing it off? Are you going down the road with joy saying, it's not that bad? I mean, God understands. Or is my response to mourn over the fact that, like, the wickedness of my heart is, like, unending? We've got to have the right response to what God is, is showing us. And the last thing he says is humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Here's where we get to everything blows up, right? We're going to talk about humility. Anyone excited? Right? If anybody in this room has ever prayed for humility, I mean, that's an experience, right? He's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you tons of opportunities to grow in this area. But the opposite of humility is pride. Humility is what it takes to come before God with your desires and say, what do you think about this? And to have the appropriate response for that. The opposite of humility is pride. And pride comes in different shapes and sizes. Right? Sometimes we think about prideful and, and we're like, oh, I could identify that guy. Because, like, he's the one who thinks he's all that. He walks down the street, you know, chest all puffed out and, like, no one's going to mess with me. And, like, we think that's the prideful. That's the arrogant person. And, and we would be right. That is prideful. That is prideful. Somebody who says, I am so much more than God created me to be. But there's also another form of pride. That's inferior pride. That's the person who says, I'm never going to be who God made me to be. I don't have what it takes. I'm never going to measure up. And that person, that way of thinking leads to either God doesn't have a plan, God doesn't have a purpose, God hasn't given me ambitions. Or he has, but I'm never going to be able to, I'm not as good as them. Or I'm never going to reach that level. And so I put those desires to death. And I don't act on them. Coming with humility and in submitting your desires to God means believing what he says about you. See, C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. If my attention, which both superior pride and inferior pride, both have the same thing in common, all the attention is on me. Either I'm everything and have everything, or I'm nothing and I have nothing, and God can't do anything with me. But again, going back to that, that climax, James says, God has put those desires in you. And when you submit them to him, when you allow him to refine those and purify those, and you believe that you are somebody who is created with potential, it's for your good and for, for my glory. He says, I will use those to do something that you wouldn't ever believe. It doesn't matter that 
the giftings, the abilities, the desires that you have aren't the same as somebody else. That doesn't matter. You look at what you have and you say, I'm going to submit those to you. See, this is huge. And maybe as you hear that this morning, you, uh, you're going through somewhat of a process that I went through this past several weeks going through this. First of all, it took me a while to actually get what God's saying here. He's saying, this isn't about you saying no so you can be a better dad. This isn't about saying these things or believing these things so you can be a better husband or so you can be a better neighbor. This is about believing the fact, James, that I've created you with potential. I've given you desires that I want you to humbly submit to me. I want you to cultivate these things to walk into the plan that I have for your life. And if you choose not to do that, everyone around you is being robbed. Your kids aren't getting the best version of you. Your spouse isn't getting the best version of you. Your workplace is not getting the best version of you because you're so jammed up thinking about what you need to have or what you need to accomplish or what you don't have. He says, believe me when I say I created you in my image. You have the ability to reason through and work through and work with me to do these things that I put in your heart. And as you do that, when people look to you, they're going to see me. I'm going to be glorified by the way that you do things. And maybe that gives you a heavy heart because like, like you, I've failed so many times at this. I remember years ago, before I was ever up here, I was where Matthew's at. I was, I was playing in bands. I was playing music. I remember in college one day, God started, just started stirring this up in me. He said, you know, I gave you this gift to play music and you're using it totally for you. You're learning as many songs as you can, getting as good as you can, so that you can get up on stage and look as good as you can to get as many people to like you as you can. And he said, that is not, that's not what I want you to do. So I said, okay. Now, instead of actually laying that desire, what God spoke at his feet and say, what do you think about this? I said, I know what I'll do. I will take my guitar, I'll put it in its case, I'll close it, I will shove it in the back underneath my bed and I'll put everything in front of it. And whenever I think about playing, I'll go, I'll go pray or read my Bible because I'm sure that's what you would want me to do. And so I did that for like a week. At the end of that time, I remember so clearly God saying, James, that's not what I want you to do either. It's like, I didn't give you that gift. I didn't give you that desire so that you could just ignore it. I want to use that thing in you to draw people to myself. No, you're not going to be the best. There are going to be people who are far better than you, but they're not you. All I'm asking is that you would submit, you would come to me humbly and submit that desire, that thing that I've put inside of you to me and watch what I'm going to do with it. Through that, I've had opportunities to do so many different things, and it's been a learning process all along the way. I have by no means arrived. Like I said, I'm still working through all the failures. But here's what I want to say. If, if you're thinking that and you're, you're feeling disheartened right now, but you're saying, I don't look like that. 
In fact, when I look at how I am in my relationships around me, I, I do look far more like an animal. I want to tell you that there's hope because this is what God showed me. He said, yep, James, that hurts when I, when I show you that area in your life. When I use words like adulterous people and when I show you that you're so concerned with yourself. But here's, here were his next words. He said, he said, but you're still breathing. Your story is not over yet. You can start today as long as you have breath in your lungs, you can start today making different decisions. You can start learning how to say no, how to resist, how to bring your desires before God, how to apologize when you've messed up, how to ask God to purify your heart, how to not be so focused on yourself and what you have or what you don't have and be focused on other people and how God wants to use you to bless them and to show a dying world that there is a God that loves them. You can do that, James. And real life, you can do that. None of us is exempt here. God has given each and every one of you an insane amount of potential. And he's given us a choice. What are you going to do with it? And I was so encouraged this past week listening to... Uh, uh, a podcast by a guy that is well known for just the amazing things that he's done. I read his books and I'm like, how do you even do that? The difference is belief. He doesn't have a mindset that says, I'll never be able to do that or I can do this in my own strength. He just says, I'm just going to do what's in front of me. And so he has this idea and I just love it. He says, the entire trajectory of your life can be changed every single day by just 20 seconds of insane courage just 20 seconds. Maybe there's a relationship that's so broken because of something that you've done or someone's done, done to you. It takes 20 seconds to make a phone call or send a text. Hey, I'm sorry, I haven't viewed you in the way that God views you. It can change everything. Maybe it's an opportunity that you know God's wanted you to do for years, but you haven't believed it yourself. You haven't believed that God can actually do that in you. It takes 20 seconds to take that first step, that first phone call, that first move, that first act of faith that says, God, I still don't know how this is going to work, but here it goes. 20 seconds of insane courage of just like, no, nothing holding me back. I'm going in the direction that, that I believe you've called me to do. I'm walking into the way that I, I believe you have made me to be. Any one of us can do that. And if you do that enough days in a row, that leads to weeks. And enough weeks in a row leads to months and years and days. And pretty soon, you don't look like you used to look like. You haven't believed the lie that you're not enough or that you've got to do everything in your own strength. You're starting to live life in the light of an identity of somebody who is known by God, the creator of the universe, who has put a crazy amount of potential inside of you and says, submit that to me every day and watch what I'm gonna do. Watch what I'm gonna do, and James says, and he will lift you up. That's inspiring, real life. And a people who believes that can walk out this door and be a light and a word of truth and hope to every single person we encounter. 
But it starts with us. It starts with us taking that 20 seconds of insane courage. So what does that look like for you this morning? What area of your life do you need to submit to God? What area of your life, your plan, your dream, your goal, do you need to say, God, it seems amazing. I'm really excited about this, but I'm going to put it down here and take one step at a time. Or what area do you need to repent in? What area have you gotten off track? Have you believed that you're more than God's plan or have you believed that you're less than God's plan? What area do you need to say, God, I'm, I'm sorry that I've tried to go this without you or God, I'm sorry that I haven't believed you. I haven't believed that I was worth saving. We just took communion together where God shows us you are so worth it. I know how I've made you and I know what I can do with you. So where do you need to repent? 20 seconds of insane courage in the right direction can start a whole new direction for your life and a whole new path. I want to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. Believe with all my heart that God's been speaking. Believe with all my heart that God wants to do something amazing in you and through you in our church and through our church. And it starts with each and every one of us realizing the potential that God's put inside of us and humbly submitting it to him to see what he can do with it. So I want to pray for you. After that, we're going to have uh, some people up front. You can't do this alone. We need each other to encourage one another, keep us on the right track. If God's been speaking to you, we're going to have pastors, leaders up here. We'd love to pray with you, help you take any next steps that you have. I just want to pray with you. God, you know every single story in this room. God, you working. God, I can feel you working right now. You are moving in people's hearts. You are bringing dead things and dead people to life. You are bringing purpose back into people's sights, God, and you are putting hope into people's relationships, God. So I thank you that you have done what only you can do. And I just ask now, God, that this room would be filled with that insane courage. Help us to trust you at your word, to act on whatever little thing you have called us to do, submitting something to you, our plans, our desires, our goals, what we're going to do, God, or repenting when we realize we've gotten astray, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive. God, we want to be a people who look and feel like you. Should you give us the power to walk in submission and humility? We believe you for this, God, because you are faithful. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got those cards, as Richie talked about, please fill those out. Drop those off in the boxes in the back. Same thing with those giving envelopes. If God's been speaking to you this morning, we'd love to hear about it. We'll have uh, some staff leaders and pastors up here. We'd love to pray with you. Love you so much for your life. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.